0: Last week we launched into a new series called Ask Me Anything, the idea being God is big enough to handle our questions, even our toughest questions, and in fact we saw that really cover to cover throughout the Bible, uh, people throughout the ages, faithful people, people who trusted the Lord, people who were really devoted to following God as best they could, those people often throughout the Bible, brought their questions to God, tough questions. Sometimes they got answers. Uh, Sometimes they didn't get the answer that they wanted or that satisfied them, but but they received a measure of God's presence and peace uh, to cope with the deep questions they had. Um, But it's okay to talk to God about our questions. And we started with a story from John chapter 9, a story that raises questions about suffering in this world? Why do good things happen to, uh, or why do bad things happen to good people? And sometimes why do good things happen to bad people, right? Um, what, what's up with the basic unfairness that I think all of us to some extent will experience in this life? Some of us, unfortunately, will experience unfairness in spades. What's up with that? Because the story in John 9 was a guy who was was blind, he was born blind. And people were asking those questions, you know, who sinned? Did he, did he somehow deserve this? Did his parents do something uh, that brought this curse upon their, their little boy? Uh, but we saw God speaking into that, and if you want to hear more, go back and listen online. But today, I want to start with a question, and this is not a question for God. Uh, this is really a question for you. Very hypothetical, by the way. Let me preface with that. Um, what would it be like if you were God? What kind of God would you be? Would you be kind? Would you be a loving God? Would you be a God who blesses and takes care of people? Would, would you be a God who brings some vengeance and some punishment to, to people who displease you? What kind of God would you be? Um, there's a game that my daughter used to play on her phone called Pocket God. And it's basically this idea, you get to be God. And the, Has anybody played Pocket God? Okay, we got some, I figured we had some b one maybe. It's an interesting game. I haven't actually played it, but I used to watch your play. So I pulled their description off of the company's website that produced this game. I'll just read it for you. What kind of God would you be benevolent or vengeful? Play pocket God and discover the answer within yourself. On a remote island, you are an all-powerful God ruling over the simple natives. You can bring new life and take it away just as quickly. Exercise your power by lifting your subjects in the air, by altering gravity, striking them with lightning. You control their universe. So that's my question. What if... You controlled the universe. What kind of God would you be? I'd like to think I'd be a God of justice. I'd be a God who, who blesses and who takes care, who serves people. But the reality, if I'm honest with you, I think there would be moments where uh, my patience would wear out and maybe I would bring a, a lightning strike or two against certain people. I don't know. But I'm afraid my best intentions would fall, fall apart when I got stressed or when I was disappointed, or when I felt betrayed. One Old Testament prophet had big problems with God, did not give the Lord a very high approval rating. His name was Jonah. Jonah was the son of Amittai, and Jonah received a word from the Lord to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, capital of the Assyrian Empire, go to Nineveh, preach to them, uh, basically 40 days of revival meetings. And so we pick up the story in the city of Joppa on the coast, the west coast of Israel, there along the Mediterranean Sea, where Jonah has decided, you know the story, right? Rather than go east toward modern-day Iraq, toward Nineveh, he decided to buy a passage on a ship, and go west to the city of Tarshish in modern-day Spain. So the opposite direction, as fast as he could. Now, I always thought and preached, I think, that Jonah was running from God, true to some extent. I think more accurately, Jonah was running from the mission God had given him, The Assyrians, they were more than the bullies of the ancient world. They were the dominant empire, and they were not good people. They were wicked, wicked people. Great at warfare, great at civil administration, but they flunked their ethics classes, all right? They controlled their vast expanding empire through oppression and through torture. Just a little sidebar here, I think I told you this about a year ago, the Assyrians, most scholars think, they were actually the ones who invented crucifixion. So just an idea of how creative they got with putting people through misery. So Jonah, no doubt, had friends, had family members, had acquaintances who had been abused by these Assyrians, by these Ninevites, perhaps arrested, perhaps carried off, perhaps tortured, perhaps murdered. Jonah probably knew some people who had been in those situations, so he hated them. He hated the Ninevites. Go preach to the Ninevites. Go help them get right with God. Go give them an opportunity to repent and get a second chance. Nah, you got the wrong guy for that job. I'm not signing up for that mission. So throughout the book of Jonah, we we see this word great come up throughout the story a great city Nineveh a great storm a great fish a great god a great revival the not so great part of the book of Jonah is is Jonah right he runs from Nineveh he runs from God the Lord sends this great storm you know the story over the waters around that ship and it is so terrible, it is so dangerous that the pagan captain and sailors and passengers on board the ship, they have been crying out to their gods. They're all pretty sure they're about to die. Jonah comes forward and makes a full confession. He says, this storm, this calamity, it's my fault. I'm running from the mission my God gave me and so he has brought it upon us and actually honoring his request they throw jonah overboard enter the most famous actor in this cast the great fish the great fish swallows jonah and cutting through a couple of chapters there he ends up three days later spitting jonah onto Dry land. At this point, obviously, Jonah really has no choice. <laughs> I mean, he's got to go to Nineveh at this point. I mean, what's after the fish? You know, if I disobey again, uh, God again, what's going to happen next? So he knows he can't get around the mission, and his hopes that he could get around the mission, or maybe if he delayed or ran in the opposite direction, God would send someone else on the mission. Or maybe God would lose his patience with Nineveh and go ahead and wipe it off the map. All of those hopes are gone. He has got to go. He has got to preach this series of revival meetings in this evil, evil city. So he did go to Nineveh. He did preach 40 days of calling the city to repentance. And then he went outside the city, climbed up a nearby hillside, And he waited. Now, this is an interesting detail in the story. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. This preacher, Jonah, truly hoped with every fiber in his being that his sermons did not work. Okay? He truly hoped that his preaching would result in zero repentance. In zero life change in the city of Nineveh. And that God would would just nuke the place, would just wipe it off the map. And so while he's sitting on the hillside, we we read a little detail there that that it was really hot, oppressive sun, and he's baking in the sun, maybe getting a sunburn. It's just very uncomfortable. And so God causes this big plant to just shoot up out of the ground overnight, Um, big leafy plant, lots of shade, and it is there to comfort Jonah, that's nice. And then to Jonah's dismay and to the prophet's anger, his worst fears come to pass. His sermons were effective. Everybody, including the king, they repent, they cry out to God, and wouldn't you know it, God saves them. Not from Jonah's perspective. A happy ending. And you can almost, if you listen, you can almost hear Jonah off in the distance on that hillside, crying out, "No!" as he sees this mass repentance and the salvation of God come. Jonah chapter four, verse one. Jonah was greatly displeased. And became angry because they repented, because they experienced God's grace. And this is why he ran away from Nineveh to start with. It's because he knew God. He actually had pretty good theology. He understood God. He knew God was generous. He knew he was kind. He knew he was patient. He knew he was just the kind of God who loved to give people, even wicked people, second chances. And he didn't want them to get a second chance. He did not want anything good to happen to these Assyrians in Nineveh. So essentially his question for God, this is the one we're going to ask this morning. Essentially his question is, okay God, I know I am supposed to love. But do I really have to love them? (laughs) Maybe you have asked a similar question, not out loud, but in your head before or in your heart before. And don't you love the honesty of the Bible? I mean, how authentic, how credible is this? The Bible takes these these prophets, these spiritual leaders, and it shows us what they were really like, warts and all. It does not sugarcoat the stories of these people like Jonah. And I'd like to be able to tell you, well, Jonah's a one-off You know, everyone else that God called to preach, that God called into ministry, or that Jesus called into his ministry, apostles and whatnot, they were much more loving than Jonah, much more understanding than Jonah, much more oriented toward grace and kindness than Jonah. But there's this in Luke chapter 9. As the time drew near. For him, for Jesus to ascend to heaven. So he's headed to Jerusalem where he knows he will be killed, buried, raised from the dead. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village. Let's just be clear here. These are the enemies of the Jews, all right? And the folks in this Samaritan village were not super excited that they were going to be hosting folks that were headed for Jerusalem capital city of the Jews. So he sent messengers ahead to this Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of that village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way toward Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, quote, Lord, Should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Visualize. Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And so they went on to another village. Now, this is James and John's version of that question. Do we really have to love them? This village, different ethnicity, different culture, different religion, and by the way, they have insulted us, they have treated us badly, how about we call down a surgical strike from heaven and just flatten this village in Samaria, and Jesus, of course, rebukes them. So again, the question... What if I were God? (laughs) How would I have handled things? If ultimately my decisions were turned into universal law, I got to choose who got blessed, who got cursed, who received kindness, who received favor, who received vengeance and judgment. If those decisions were up to me, what kind of God would I be? And the thing is, we can actually justify... If we're creative enough, we can actually justify being mean to people. (laughs) We can actually justify, like it's the right thing to do, we can actually justify treating people miserably. I came across an article this week. It was written by a business leader in a business journal. And it was an article about how do you deal with people you can't stand. So certainly the kind of article that gets your attention, right? How do you deal with people you can't stand, right? How do you deal with the difficult people at your workplace or colleagues, stuff like that? And so here are, these are some of the ideas in the article. Okay, first idea. Remove the person from your life. Okay. I like this next one. Use behavioral conditioning on the other person. That's called manipulation. Manipulation. Manipulate the other person. Behavioral conditioning. Sounds so nice. The next idea, get leverage. Blackmail. (laughs) Get leverage and use that leverage to force action. And then number four, don't be too nice. Eh, We're generally too nice in America, right? Don't be too nice. And then I've got a quote here. It may sound harsh, but since toxic people, it's always helpful if you're going to be mean to someone that you label them, right? Um, It may sound harsh, but since toxic people tend to take advantage of any kindness that's imparted on them, being overly nice can be detrimental. And then the last suggestion, realize it's not your job to save them. I read that this week and I was thinking, this sounds like an article that Jonah with collaborators James and John would have written, right? (laughs) The thing is, everyone loves, everybody loves dot, dot, dot. Some people, everybody loves some people, but God, do I really have to love that guy? Are you really calling me to love those people? And now we get to one of the hardest teachings in all of the Bible. And unfortunately, it is crystal clear. (laughs) Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your who? Love your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, underscore, in that way, you will be acting as children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunshine, his sunlight to both evil and the good. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love what the world does, if you love only those who love you back... What reward is there for that? Everyone does that. That's my version. He says even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, big deal. Everyone does that. Even pagans do that. People who don't know anything about God. They're nice to the people that love them. They're nice to their friends. And I'm not going to lie to you. This is a hard teaching. I mean, it is. And furthermore, beyond the words on the page, beyond what Jesus said, I believe through personal experience, I believe the Holy Spirit of God will personally put people around you, will put you in places and situations where you will be directly confronted with this question. How do I love that guy? How do I love those people? He will put you around difficult people. The Spirit intentionally places us in situations and encounters where we are face-to-face with that question. Look at Jonah. I mean, God found the group that Jonah hated more than any other. And he said, you're going to go reach those people. You're going to minister to the Ninevites, Jonah. He sent James and John to this Samaritan village. He knew what he was doing. He knew he hated, they, they hated those people. He knew they were going to be insulted. He knew how this was going to turn out. The Spirit will stretch you. The Spirit will stretch you. Count on it. Now, as I think about Jonah's story, the the outline on your in the bulletin. This is going to go pretty quick. Just a few simple ideas here. The first one is this, and it's just I can be honest to God. I don't have to pretend with God that that I really love everyone, that I really like everyone. I can be honest to God. I can cry out to God. There are certain people and groups that I can't stand. I just want us to be honest. Right? I don't want you to get on Facebook and list those groups and people, all right? Be honest to God about your weakness, about your sinfulness. I won't presume to know who you can't stand, what religious group, what sexual orientation, what political affiliation. I don't know who you struggle to love, but I'm pretty sure everyone has someone or some group that they are like God Really? I've got to love them? And so we struggle here. But Christ, he's pretty clear. He gives us an answer to our question. It may not be the one we wanted. And so here is this higher, higher calling. When Jesus said, Gordon, love your enemies. When Jesus said that, he was essentially telling me, yep, yep. I'm calling you to love even that person. Now, that can feel a little bit overwhelming. Like, how am I going to pull this off? Uh, be very easy to try a Jonah here and run the opposite direction or try to interpret this teaching of Jesus a little creatively where I don't have to love my enemies. But the Bible does give us some pretty helpful counsel if we'll pay attention. Right? So this is the next bullet point there. I was thinking of the Grinch this week with his heart that was how many sizes too small? Two sizes too small or something? I was thinking about him this week. So write this down. Help for my undersized heart. Learning to love with God's heart is a journey. I may not be where I need to be, but I can grow. I can change. We know from biographical information in the Bible, James and John, they changed. John becomes known later in life as the love apostle. I mean, he really grew to appreciate and understand the Lord's higher calling. But here's the thing, and this is really a very important step that Christianity simply doesn't work if we don't take this step. And it is, accepting Jesus as Lord, I give up my right to be God. And consequently, my right to choose who is or is not deserving of my love and compassion. Speaking of of the rights that we resign, listen to Jonah 4, verse 4. The Lord replied to Jonah, Have you any Right to be angry. Essentially, hey Jonah, who's God in this relationship? Didn't I create these people in Nineveh? Didn't I, for my purposes, however mysterious they might be, raise Assyria up to the position it's at in the world? Don't I have the right as God? To be loving and compassionate. Don't I have the right to give these people a second chance? And I'll level with you. Christianity, like I said, it doesn't work unless you resign as Lord. And you allow Jesus to take his rightful place on the throne of your heart. Now, this is simply a matter of humility. It just is acknowledging things. This next bullet point is this. I don't have the resources on my own. I don't have the resources within myself to love that person, God. So I ask you, give me your heart. The Bible promises we'll get a new heart in Ezekiel. Give me your heart and your help so that I can grow in loving those I frankly struggle to love. How about a little help? Jonah, like I said, hey, pretty good theology he knew god pretty well which was why i think he knew off the get go if i go to nineveh and i preach god's gonna god wants to save those people he loves saving people so i don't want to go jonah chapter 4 verse 2 he says and by the way this verse this is not a song of praise to god this is a beaten down jonah defeated shoulders slumped. You are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. He's like, I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were going to save these people. And the truth is, God, this is the thing, this helps me a lot. God is not asking me to do something he has not already done for me, right? And so write this down in your outline. I offer to people the kindness and grace the Lord has already offered me. That's what I'm asked to do. I mirror my father's heart to the world around me. Now, I want you to juxtapose. I want you to put that alongside Jonah and his heart and how he was blessed in a very small but meaningful way by the Lord in this story. Jonah 4, verse 6. And the Lord got arranged for a leafy, plant a big fern to grow there as soon as it spread its its broad leaves over Jonah's head so maybe not a fern um, shading him from the sun this eased his discomfort and Jonah was what he was very grateful for the plant and honestly this is just sad The prophet, oh, he loved the plant. He praised God for the big leaves on this plant and the shade that it provided. He was so grateful. God, thank you for alleviating my pain. But he could care less about extending any of that kindness to the Ninevites, he wanted them to fry. And you know this, but it's gospel, so we're going to repeat it over and over. God doesn't love you because you deserve it. God has not been kind to you because you're a charming fellow or a nice girl. God did not send Jesus. To die on a Roman cross, a horrific death, because you somehow merited that. He looked at your resume and thought, yeah, they're worthwhile. They've done so many good things. Well, send Jesus to die in their place. No. God acted for you when you did not, repeat, did not deserve it. Romans 5.8. Didn't deserve it. He gave you both mercy and grace which by the way are different things both very important we need mercy and we need grace different things mercy is not getting what you deserve it's clemency it's pardon it's i know i've got this coming thank you for your mercy thank you for not giving me what i deserve grace on the other hand is getting what you do not deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. And he has given us both of these in abundance. Thank you, God, for that. And now we are called to love. We are called to be kind. We are called to be gracious. We are called to pray for, to help turn the other cheek, to go the other mile, for people who, yes, honestly, they don't always deserve it. But that's how God has treated us. And we want to be like our Father. And I find a lot of comfort in this last point this morning I see from this story. It's it's okay if my heart lags behind my actions. I can serve. I can speak kindly. I can act kindly even when I don't feel like it. And I would say, even when someone else doesn't deserve it. I can do that. Now, we've talked about this before. As believers in Jesus Christ, we do not follow our hearts. We agree with what God says in Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful above all. And I know we live in a culture that says... Ah, follow your heart. But we know that our hearts are deceitful, and I'll be honest with you. My heart kind of leans sometimes toward judgment, spite, bitterness, vengeance, selfishness. And thankfully, it's okay when my heart is lagging behind. It's okay. When I need to treat people with kindness and speak with kindness, even when I don't feel it, that's okay. Don't trust your heart. Trust the Lord. And treat people as he has treated you. This morning, one final thing. We'll finish right here. But this is interesting to me. It's always been interesting to me. How the Bible ties this story of Jonah to the gospel story. And Jesus is actually the one who does this in the gospel. He draws draws this connection. He calls it the sign of Jonah. And it points to his resurrection. Jonah was buried in the belly of this giant fish for three days. So that he could bring Ninevites to salvation. So that they could get a second chance. Jesus was buried in the belly of the earth for three days so that we could receive a second chance. So we could receive an opportunity to repent, to come to God, to be saved. And this morning, maybe it's your moment to say yes to the Lord, to say yes to his gracious favor, to his goodness, to his kindness that he's offered you in Jesus Christ. It's your moment to repent, to come to the Lord to be baptized in the name of Jesus and join in that ancient burial story. In baptism you're buried with Jesus, you're raised with Jesus you receive a new life or maybe you just need prayers prayers for your undersized heart or prayers for something else going on in your life And you can pray with someone around you. Just gather, pray. Come pray with me or one of our shepherds. But however it is, you need to respond to the Lord. Do that as we worship. Stand together now.